0: Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. I imagine, you know, as the buckets are passing, you can give, but I I imagine that in this time and in this season, we're, we're doing a theme this month on worship. And I wasn't really planning on it, but God told me three weeks ago in, uh, in worship uh, to, uh, to preach on worship this month. And so that was cool. And so I, I didn't have to have any creative meetings about what to preach about uh, for February. I didn't have to talk to uh, <laughs> a bunch of folks about, hey, what's God saying and doing? It was just pretty clear at that point what to do. And so I was really excited about it, and I'm also excited to carry this narrative and community as a non-singer, non-musician. I am really excited about this because a lot of times we translate worship to being a musical expression alone. And while music is very much a part of it, singing is very much a part of it, it is not the only part of worship. And so uh, I love what God creates in us. I love what God creates in this community. And I want to remind you, uh, last week we talked about how worship is a praise story. You can see this in Psalms 8 and Matthew 21. You can see that out of the mouths of infants and babes, uh, babies, he's ordained praise or established strength. And you can see the translation on that is a story. Especially in Matthew 21, it's a story. And it's a story of praise. Which means that for us, we understand that praise and worship is not just a musical time of the service but it's actually an overflow of a very real story happening in our life that God is doing. And that's an exciting experience um, if you are in it. But it can kind of feel like you're on the outside looking in if you're not actually experiencing uh, God inside of you in those ways for you to be able to have this overflow of yes, this is what God's doing and talking about it and sharing about it and being able to have that song of praise. Uh, and sometimes for some of you, if I say, hey, sing a song that tells the story of what God's doing in your life, it might not really resonate because you're not musical. You don't think in sing types. Uh, I talked about in the first service. Jessica, she, she liked the moments where songs would break out in a movie. And those are the moments I realized I didn't like the movie. And right up to that point, I was like, "This is a good Disney movie." And then a song would break out, and the character would sing. And I was like, "What a disappointing break right there! Why is this happening? Why did they ruin Little Mermaid?" You know. And so uh, it's one of those moments where you might not think about praising and/or worshiping God in song form in your life, but I really think that we got to level this thing out and help ourselves understand. So if you don't think in la 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 song. Uh, But you you can perhaps relate to Psalms, like the Psalms of David, which when I read the Psalms of David, I actually don't, like, sing it. But they are songs, and this is praise and worship back to God. Uh, And it's literally telling back to God who he is and what he's done in your life. So if you don't think in song form, like, oh, God gave me a song to sing about what he's doing in my life, uh, like I talk with Lisa all the time about how God's designed her to be a narrative person, and she's going to see and perceive the narratives of what God does in her life and in community. She's going to write songs about it. Uh, and so everybody can encourage her on that because she's running from it. Where yeah, you, Lisa, Is she around? All right, she's not around, so it's secrets. So anyways, God's doing this thing in her, though, it's songwriting, 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 and this might not be your uh, skill to develop. But you can think of it and understand it as a psalm to the Lord, because when we start to jump into the word and understand what God's doing in worship, uh, I'm going to take us to the focus of the, the woman at the well and the stories of John 5. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, you can. John 5, and we're going to establish this thing real simple, real clear. There's about 5 through 39. There's a lot of verses. We'll get to some of them. We'll kind of uh, review some of them. But, but it starts in John 5, and it starts to talk about how Jesus went to the land of Samaria, and he was weary and he's tired. He stopped at a well, a well of Jacob, mind you. And uh, he met a woman there, who's a Samaritan woman, and he spoke to her, and he talked to her and asked her for a drink. This, as a note, historically was really important. This was not very common for a Jewish man to speak to a Samaritan woman in this regard. And so this was crossing over ethnic lines, and this is important to recognize, is that Jesus uh, is, is so good at this. He's so good at helping us understand and being led into this place of seeing that he is not about respecting the boundary of race or ethnicity, but that when you're walking with Jesus, it elevates us beyond these human divides. What's your economic status? Relationship with Jesus elevates us to a place of connection that goes beyond that. So we don't just relate to each other racially or economically or even socially, but we relate to one another in what God is doing in our life. This is our common unifying ground. One Lord, one Father, one Jesus. This is our unifying grounds. We may have a lot of different histories like the Samaritan woman versus Jesus uh, lineage history, but you've got to see that Jesus invites us to a journey that elevates us beyond these human divides. And you could see these ingredients take place in the Samaritan woman's life. And the reason why this is going to start to touch on worship is because this is about the story of the Samaritan woman encountering Jesus. And our story of encountering Jesus is the foundation of our praise. It's the foundation of our worship. You and I really can't have a true and authentic praise and worship before the Lord if it's not intimate, if it's not real to us, if it's not personal. Otherwise, you're just part of a choir. Otherwise, you're just singing songs that others are singing, and maybe it's real for them, but it's got to be real for you. And if it's real for them, but it's not real for you, ask God for it to become real for you. Ask God. Like, really ask God. Like, God, live in my life. Show up in my heart right now. Fill me with your spirit. This is the way. You know, this is the way we walk, is that when you aren't filled with God, you ask God to fill you. When you see others being able to authentically praise and worship God, like, look what the Lord has done. Remember that song? Look what the Lord has done. Remember that song? My snaps were off, I know. <laughs> he healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me, right? So these, it's talking about a real effect that Jesus has had in their life. And true praise and true worship is if that's actually happening to you but if he hasn't healed your body, then it's not a true song of worship and praise to you yet. It's true to someone else, but true praise and true worship, as we're gonna see in this Samaritan woman's story, is when it's actually taking place in your life, and it is a witness then that you are shouting, dancing, singing back to God and others the true story of what God is doing in your life. This is true praise, like, hey, I got a real story to tell you, and here's my story, here's what God's done in my life. He's liberated me from the power of lust. He's broken an addiction to pornography. He's snapped rage and bitterness and anger in my life as a shield and as a strength. Like I could tell you the testimony of what God's done in my life, and when I sing songs, I could sing for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, three hours, four hours, whatever amount of time, I might get a little tired, need to eat, maybe need to laugh a little bit, say hi to some folks, but I can sing for a really long time on it because the actual well of what's taken place there runs deep to the very intimacy and personal effect of my life. But if rage still owns you, you might not have a whole lot to sing about. If bitterness still holds the deepest places of your heart, you might not have a whole lot to shout about. If you come in and you still got your chains and you still got your your heavy weights of chains and shackles, you might not have a whole lot to dance about. So when I say, like, when I encourage praise and worship, when I encourage us to go to those places, I don't want you to act like you're free. I don't want you to act like it runs deep for you. I want you to actually experience God in those places of freedom, in those places of depth. It's going to be risky. It's going to feel vulnerable. It's going to feel a little bit odd. It might even make you feel imbalanced because you can't lend to your own strengths anymore. But I want to invite you to true freedom, to true encounter with Jesus, to the true deep things of God. So this is the difference between a pastor want a church to look good versus be good. I don't want a dancing church if you're not dancing truly inside of your spirit. I don't want a singing church if you don't have a song to sing about God. So this is what Jesus longs for in relationship. I'm gonna to skip to a certain part of this where, and I'm gonna kind of bounce around a little bit, but he, he says to her, just so you know why I'm saying it, it's gotta be true. There's, there's this understanding we've gotta have that this thing's gotta be true to us. And you can see, he, he says this to her at, at some point where in verse 21, uh, it says, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here. So things are changing when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So if it's not real to you, allow yourself to experience God so it becomes real. this is the the break point, right? When you realize that you don't know God, don't act like you know God. You don't need to act. The acting doesn't achieve anything for you spiritually. The acting for me doesn't achieve anything spiritually. I just talked to a pastor on Thursday. We talked for like three hours on a thing I'm wrestling with. And uh, it was like a it was like this sword that I was carrying around, right? Not a sword of the Lord, not a sword of the Spirit, not a sword of the Word, but it was this sword, this place of protection, this place of violence inside of me towards a specific thing. And it's been there for a bit, and and so it's three hours this guy goes for it with me, three hours at a Waffle House. At a Waffle House, I'm never going to forget this Waffle House, I'll go there, I'll walk by, I'll go, that was cool. Because at some point... You know, I recognize, I go, oh, I'm holding a sword. Like, I've got a sword. Holy smokes. I've got to leave this sword here today. And I texted him in worship. I said, I left the sword at the Waffle House. I left the sword at the Waffle House because I, I realized in worship, like, there wasn't this, uh, this drive towards anger, towards protection, or towards violence in a certain thing, I realized that I was at peace with it. I realized that I had joy. I realized that I had an overwhelming amount of life on me in that area. So when I'm worshiping God today, I'm like, come on, yes. When I'm talking, when Mikey's talking about healing today and God healing people today, I know he's physically healing people and people came to my heart and mind to pray about that, but I'm also celebrating God's nature that heals because he healed me on Thursday of something, I'm like, oh, come on, yes. That's a wound you healed me of, God, and I'm so grateful that I don't have to carry a sword of vengeance in the place of woundedness. For some of you, this is really, really important because you carry swords of defense and violence in places that have been uh, dramatically wounded and hurt. And these are your safeguards. These are your towers and your refuge in a time of need. But Jesus is talking to us about worshiping not just in song and ceremony, not just in a geographical space, but he's talking to us about something that runs deeper than showing up in a sanctuary, calling it the temple, and saying, I worshiped at the temple. Because the actual elevated place of worship is beyond just the geographical space. He's like, look, there comes a day where it's not gonna be about whether you're worshiping on this mountain or that mountain or that valley, but you're gonna actually worship in spirit and in truth because the new era, new covenant of worship is that you are the temple. You are the temple, and you can see this in 1 Corinthians. Uh, you can see this in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. So when you're talking about actually walking with God to experience worship in spirit and in truth, there is no pink monkey notes, there is no cheat scripts, there is no copyright that you can do uh, to actually achieve true spirit and uh, spirit and truth worship. What has to take place is that you, the temple, are experiencing the feeling of God You are experiencing God in your life. You are being filled with this thing and you gotta see this from a personal standpoint. The desire that God has for you is to fill you with his spirit, is to fill you with his nature, is to fill you with the fullness of God. And I'm gonna prove it to you in this story so that you don't think I'm just making it up. There's this place in verse 10, if we're kind of going back to the beginning of their conversation where Jesus says to her after he asked her for a drink, He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sometimes we gloss over something and go, that sounds kind of cool, living water. So we got to ask ourselves and understand, what is this living water Jesus is talking about? And you can see it right away, John 7, 37 through 39. This is actually what living water is for us. And we get to experience and get to have this. And 37 says, um, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, capital S, they refer to the Holy Spirit, whom those believed in him were to receive. How cool is this? For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when Jesus is talking about receiving this living water, It's actually really amazing and important to actually understand what this is. The symbol of water is important, and we'll get to that, but it's living. So check this out. When you, as the temple, receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you're receiving the fullness of God. You know this, right? You may not be a perfect match to what lives inside of you, but nonetheless, you have actually received the fullness of God in your life. So all of God lives inside of you. This is a fact all of the Holy Spirit, not just the part that you've come to reflect all of the Holy Spirit. That means that there is something living inside of you that thinks different than you think, that feels different than you feel, that walks different than perhaps you're walking. It's important to understand because when I ask you to discern or to reflect or to repent, I'm not asking you to discern, reflect, and repent on something that's up here, I'm actually, actually asking you to discern, reflect, and repent on something that lives inside of you. That's your compare and contrast. Like I was with Presley the other day, and we were doing the, hey, what's different about these two pictures thing, and you circle it. And I've actually never known, are you supposed to circle both in the areas that there's a difference, or just the one that has the object that makes it different? I've never really understood that. But nonetheless, here we are. She's discerning and comparing and contrasting the differences. The same thing takes place with us is, hey, okay, so if you ask me the question, what's wrong with you, a terrible formula for Christianity is for you to compare and contrast to a Christian that's over there. This is a terrible, insecurity-inducing formula of Christianity. The best one is to actually reflect on God and the differences between him and you. Now, at first, this is going to be devastating. At first, it's going to be like, (gasps) oh, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. You're gonna see the depravity of your desires in your flesh. You're gonna see the, the true perversions that exist inside of you in comparison to Christ. Now, don't alleviate it by going, but at least I'm not as bad as sinner A or sinner B. Don't alleviate it, because what's coming after the wave of God, woe is me of men of unclean lips, is the purification process that God does with you. He touches the cold of the lips, and he cleanses you. He purifies you. It's an act of God for you to actually become like him in the blood of Jesus. What can make us white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So you reflect, not so that you can gain the power of change, You reflect so that you can gain the power of understanding the difference between you and God and your desperate need for God to do a miracle. We compare and contrast. We see that thing living inside of us that my mind doesn't match it. Like I've been growing in business and I recognize that my business mind doesn't even get close to matching Christ's business mind. I'm like, wow, I have a wow, holy smokes, look at Lord. There's a lot there oh boy, here we go, and you start to recognize these things, and you start to see this living water inside of you, and and I I like what the Samaritan woman said here. She said, where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? This is so interesting to me, and then later on, she actually talks about, about, um, about Jacob again and what I want to draw this reference to is that sometimes we are imprisoned by our imagination of what God can do simply based on what's happened in our generational line. And so we're like, hey, this is who I am. This is how I'll operate. And and you may not realize it, but you're following the manual of your generational blessing and generational curses. And you're like, yeah, so you're saying this thing about worship can happen anywhere, but are you really better than Jacob? Because he built this well. He dug this thing. Are you really better than those things that said this is how it ought to go? And I see this allegiance in us to the way we do church, to the way we worship. Some folks like 15-minute worship sets, in and out, let's do this, keep it upbeat, keep it happy, keep it going for it. Some folks are like, Jesus doesn't come if worship's not at least an hour. And so you can kind of start to see like even musical genres uh, I I used to not like country music. And as of like the last six months, I've had a country revival in my life, guys. It's really, for those that don't like country, you'll be sad to know you lost one. For those that love country, you'll be happy to know you gained one. But I also like all the ones I came from, too. So I, there's this, there's this uh, preference that we start to build in our humanity that you gotta understand that God's not subscribed to that magazine of partiality. He's no respecter of persons, which means whether it be gospel music, whether it be Hillsong type music, whether it be some kind of hodgepodge of Maverick that has a little bit of those other tones, whether it be kind of some more Hispanic kind of base flavors. You look, God doesn't subscribe to any of these magazines as the box that he has to live in. These are just genres. These are the way our family's done it, but they're not even necessarily the way God has ordained us to do it. Like, even the way we do it now, right, where it's like, the guys are up there and we're here. Like, this isn't ordained by God. This isn't structurally biblical and sound in the way, like, this is the way it has to go. This is the way it goes because of our humanity. Because we've built habits and tendencies and expectation patterns. But when it comes to God, he's like, look, this is not what it's about. It's not about how Jacob did it. It's not about how your family did it. It's not about how you've learned to do it. It's about what I'm establishing in you, the temple, what I'm filling you with, and I'm filling you with the fullness of the Spirit of God, and thus that's going to do things that don't obey your lineage. That's going to do things that have you walking away from patterns that your family has always done. Because God's not trying to build a reinforcement over your generational line. He's not trying to affirm where you're already at. Spirit and in truth, these are both copyright God, not copyright your family no matter how good or bad they've been. Neither one of these things belong to your family or to your culture or to your generational expression. I always get tired when a generation tries to boast about the greatness of their generation compared to another generation. I'm like, guys, can we stop with the comparisons? Every generation has evil. Every generation has good. Every generation has victory. Every generation has defeats. Every one of them. So when we go into these places where we're really measuring all of these things out, we're like, well, this is the way. I'm like, "Ah, it's actually not. It's not the fullness. It's just not. We've got to understand that God doesn't subscribe to human tradition. He doesn't only achieve great things through the human tradition that you've experienced great things. Just because you've experienced God in that one denominational expression or that one worship expression or that one pattern of behavior you've got, just because it's kept you safe doesn't mean that's what God's gonna do in this next season of your life. So he might actually have blessing for you in a place that you are charged on right now and you don't wanna go. He might actually have blessing for you right now that he wants to give to you But if you hang on to your partiality, like if the Samaritan woman wasn't able to receive from Jesus, she wouldn't have got to receive the fullness of what she got to receive. She wouldn't have been able to get living water if she subscribed to Samaria and Samaritan tradition versus Jewish tradition. Jesus was a Jew. She would have been incapable of receiving from him if she subscribed more to human tradition than to God. Family can become an incredible stumbling stone to relationship with Jesus. You cannot allow the traditions of your family or the traditions of your race or the traditions of your economic statuses to determine and to dictate what your worship looks like. It's gotta look like Jesus. It's gotta look like Jesus. It's gotta sound like Jesus. It's gotta walk like Jesus. It's gotta be in lockstep with Jesus. And this is why I love the symbol of the water, right? Because it flows, and a lot of times as Christians, we talk about worship as flowing. You know, Mikey flowed today with Beth and the gang and the whole team there. They flowed today. What does that mean, though, right? Does that mean that it felt good musically? No, it, it, mean, it means that if we're actually doing our job as leaders, what we're trying to do is we're trying to see the Holy Spirit and go wherever he goes, say whatever he says, for however long, like, that's the goal, and that's, that should be attention. There should be attention over how do we do that. God, what does that look like? There should be a humility to go, okay, God, I don't have all the answers, so I'm looking for you. I'm looking for you. I'm looking for your will. I'm looking for your way. And when it comes to standing in front of anybody at any time, with any place or seat of honor as a voice and a mouthpiece for God in community, there must be a fear of the Lord there to say, not my will ever. But your will be done. So what's that look like? Are you healing right now? What are you healing? Are you delivering right now? What are you delivering? Are you singing right now? What are you singing? Are you preaching and teaching right now? Are you delivering right now? Are you imparting right now? Are you blessing right now? Are you connecting right now? Are you loving right now? Are you doing all of it right now? And then how does that take place? What do I do with that? How do I help that? Where do we go? How do we get there? This is my goal. No other goal. No other goal but God what are you doing? And so if we're flowing with God and, and Jesus says, hey, you'd be filled with living water and this water is the Holy Spirit. It's like, okay, so there's a, there's a flow to this, huh? So if, Holy, if I'm filled with living water, there's life to this water. Where's it going? What's it doing? What's it saying? Maybe you're not supposed to, quote, unquote, do anything. Just keep worshiping because God's doing a thousand things in, in everybody in the room. And how fun is that? So I'm a pastor, so I get, I, get, I get the beauty and the luxury of hearing people tell me what they were experiencing with Jesus after the service. I can't tell you how diverse it is. It's wild. One person's being healed of a grieving journey and a process and God is present with them. Another person's getting delivered from addiction. Another person's like, the Holy Spirit is super amazing. And to another person, he's saying, he's confronting them for sin. Spirit and truth. So if you're in deception, God's going to show up not just in an affirmation, but also a confrontation. Oh, it's pretty exciting stuff. He says it to the woman. He says it right here. Let's, let's check this out, and then we're going to get into some things. He says, he says, go call your husband, verse 16, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five. $5, and the one the when you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Very astute, very, very, very astute. So all of a sudden, what do we see here? This is in the context of him establishing what it means to truly worship. A true intimate relationship with Jesus. It actually cannot be devoid of Truth. So if you're, quote-unquote, in sin, a true worship life will encounter the truth of Jesus and be called to repent. We separate out all the functions of the Bible into a service time. So like the repentance time is after they're done preaching a lot of times. Some kind of altar call, call to action thing, Right? But, like, this is only because of the way human beings experience things. A lot of times, like, we long for, like, just, like, very simple, simple measures of community interaction. But really what's happening is, like, I, if I was going to complicate it for you, but also make it more true to what God's doing, it's like at any time in this service that Holy Spirit prompts you to repent, repent. Don't wait till a guy on a microphone says the thing that God's already trying to do with you. I get this all the time. Oh man, God's been speaking that to me and when you preached on it, it really made it If we were to move into a Holy Spirit context, Jesus not on earth, this Samaritan woman would have actually experienced this in her spirit. Holy Spirit would have been poking, prodding, scratching, pulling, touching, inviting, provoking, encouraging, sending folks, ambassadors, witness, witnesses, to calling her to a life of purity to calling her to a life of appropriate love and romantic expression, to calling her to a place of appropriate, like this is what Holy Spirit would have already been doing because the narrative of Jesus you see in stories is happening all over the earth through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. So this is the journey, is that we're, we're living our lives and, and true worship in this place as a family, as a corporate expression, gets quote-unquote powerful when we individually are exercising intimacy in our temple, are exercising a yieldedness in our temple. Like this body of mine is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit, so when I show up in worship, I'm not trying to get right so everybody can experience me in rightness. This isn't the objective. That's just performative worship culture that tries to look good for its peers in a gathering Sunday space that's controlling and measuring its behavior for two hours just so others think they're doing it right. And if you're broke, don't act not broke. Especially in this place, the sanctuary space. This is a space where you're supposed to come in the exact form you are and experience God in that exact, genuine way. And if you're healed up, don't have false humility and act wounded to make others comfortable. It's false humility. So my, my encouragement and why, the reason why as a pastor I like to talk about worship is because I'm not doing chord structures and notes. I'm not putting together music or harmonies or some kind of vocal blends or band stuff. I'm not training up those instruments. I'm not doing that work that's others and doing a great job. I'm not doing those things, but what I am doing is I'm pastoring. I'm shepherding. I'm speaking the truth and love to these places of life. Like the life of each individual in this place has to be one that magnifies the Lord with its witness and its testimony. Are you being active in it? Because the Samaritan woman, she went out into the city and said, hey, I just experienced something that, it's gotta be a prophet. Like, it's gotta be real. And then brought people to Jesus because of her experience with Jesus. If it's hard for you to evangelize and tell people about Jesus, it might be because he hasn't healed you or you haven't let him free you or you haven't experienced him in a real way because when you've experienced him in a real way, you're not ashamed of the story that he's done in your life and it's not foreign and alien and you're not repeating or rehearsing some kind of other evangelistic measure and tool where you hand out a track, all you're doing is sharing your life and your life has had Jesus impacted. Folks get saved in a life on life way, not a rehearsal of a script that's meant to put together the story of Jesus well. Even the gospel of Jesus, the story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, it really resonates in truth when it's reflected in a person's life. Like God is good, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead so that I could be free from sin and its effect on my life. Let me tell you about how that's taken place in my life. Let me tell you the freedoms I've experienced that I, my family hasn't ever experienced. Let me tell you about the things generationally that God has been able to do in me that my family never got to do, never got to taste, never got to see, that Jacob all the way going back to the Old Testament never got to experience. Let me tell you about the proofs. Let me tell you about the evidence. Let me tell you about the things God did. Let me tell you about my life and Jesus is all up in that thing. All up in it. And that's praise, that's worship, and that's true praise and worship. Look what the Lord has done in my life. Look what he's done in my life. Look what he's done in my life. Look what the Lord has done in my life. This is magnifying the Lord. It's magnifying the story of God, the witness of God. Look what the Lord has done in my life. If I could do anything today to you, it would be to give you the courage to live a real faith-filled life in Jesus to believe that he can actually do a work in your life, that he can actually free you from sin and its effect, that he actually breaks strongholds, that he actually towers above the power of sin and breaks it over your life, that he's greater than your chains, that he's greater than your sin, he's greater than your perversions, he's greater than your impurities, he's greater than your fears, he's greater than all of your baseless humanity that doesn't know God. He's greater than all these things. So I would implore you, I'd encourage you, I'd edify you, I'd provoke you, I'd even challenge you to trust that God can change your life and to not move forward with a fake Christian expression that doesn't ask for it. Courageously ask God for real change, for real transformation. Get desperate for it, get desperate for it, get desperate for it. Recognize that you're actually thirsty and you want living water. And in the Bible, it talks about this living water, this eternal spring wells up inside of you. So when you invite the Holy Spirit in your life, what you're asking for and what you're actually inviting into your life is an agent that works apart from your will and your understanding, and it actually starts to bubble up and well up, and a work's happening inside of you. It's doing something. It's going deeper. It's going deeper. It's softening the ground. It's bringing up those hard places. It's bringing life. It's bringing life. It's bringing life. So to every dead spot, Jesus wants to visit and bring life. To every place of despair, to every place of despondency, to every place of failure and imprisonment to sin, and it's power on your life, to every place that has actually been possessed by evil, driven by selfishness. Every place of brokenness in marriage, every place of brokenness in finances, every place of brokenness as a father and as a mother, every place. I remember when I had Brightly, and we've got to wrap up, but I remember when I had Brightly, I was terrified. She's my oldest girl. I was terrified about being a father of a daughter. Any other fathers terrified? We're, were terrified? I was terrified. I had my son first. I was like, I get it. I get it, you know? Mountain mover, dude. Let's go, bro. Let's knock down some stuff. Let's get tough. Let's get strong. Let's get mighty. Let's also love the Lord and you know experience him emotionally. That's great too. <laughs> I get it, right? I had Brightly and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a little, a glass figurine. What do I? Is this a glass? Fi- am I gonna break her? And so I I spent like 30 days praying over it. I got right away the prophetic vision of what Brixton was, right? God told me in the NICU, like within six hours of him being born. He starts prophesying to me about Brixton. I start singing a song in the NICU. That was awesome. (laughs) And I start praying and prophesying over my son, put his hand on his chest. You know, this whole cool story. I'll tell you about it sometime. I've already told you about it. But brightly, it took 30 days of really reflecting on myself and who I was. Was I good? Was I not good as a man? Was I going to destroy the innocence and the purity in this beautiful, beautiful little dove figurine thing sitting in the crib? And I, so I had this whole thing on it, and I was like, man, God, like, what is this even supposed to mean? And like, yet last night it was so funny, because if I hadn't gone to this place like yesterday, I would have been tore up. Because the Galentines, the women's Galentines thing happened, right? So fun. So i doing something, and I got the kids, so I go to get in the car, but I step over a puddle, Right? Brightly puts her face, i got to see where this is going, puts her face right up between the seats, front seat area, talking to Jason Douglas, get in the car, I kind of fall, so I put my elbow out, hits her in the nose. She starts crying, I'm like, oh, what's happened? I'm like, oh no, bummer, nose, right, that's, that's tough, somebody's bumped her, I didn't think it was that hard. She's bleeding, <laughs> it's pouring out of her nose, and then she cries for the next 30 minutes, mommy. Next 30 minutes. And so I'm like, sweetie, I'm so sorry. I love you so much. And she's like, I was like, does it hurt? She's like, no, I'm just scared. <laughs> like if I hadn't visited Jesus on, you know, like these things with me, I would have been like, I'm a monster. I'm a monster. It's in me to hurt. Oh, no, I'm terrible. But I've already guy with this thing, so I was like, oh, that's so, so terrible. So I'm like, I'm going to get you ice cream. I'm going to hug you. I'm going to love on you. I'm going to tell you you're amazing. Like I'm just going to spend time with you in that spot. Like, so I got it, right? So I know what to do in these spaces. And I was like, but I felt, oh, I was like, oh no, that's terrible. She's bleeding because of me. You know, I made my child bleed. <laughs> it's never a good feeling. But these are the places that God visits inside of you in a place of worship. It's not just a song, it's a life on life experience. And the praise of your life is the effect that comes from a life on life with Jesus. And if you aren't experiencing the effect of a life on life with Jesus, don't be scared. Don't feel like you're uninitiated, like you're rejected. Everyone around you is excited for you to have an experiencing full life with Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Might look different in you, but begin to walk it out in authenticity, in a genuineness of hunger for what the Lord's gonna do in your life. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about the Mountain Church, please visit us at TheMTNChurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.